say that about uh, college football it is the season yeah. starting this week i, I got about imagine, a dozen games or i gotta so. think there's uh, more college football teams in the lone star state here in texas <laughs> than any other that's state, a good question than i have any other state in the union i haven't even thought about that but there's I, a I ton think here about it all the time every turn i take there's yeah. a college football I know. team. didn't even know uh, north texas had a football team. Anyhow, welcome back. Living the Good Life show live here in Dallas, Texas. Uh, we're going to get into it. It's a fun time of the year. That's definitely true. And I'm excited to bring back our longtime friend, Ali Steinberg, who really needs no introduction. The goat when it comes to sports agents and one of my favorite movies, Jerry Maguire. By the way, was that how, how real or close to your life was that movie? It's not identical. It's not autobiographical. But Cameron Crowe, the writer-director, called me up back in 1993 and asked if he could follow me and be a fly on the wall to pick up atmosphere for a film that would center on a sports agent. So he went with me to the NFL draft in 93, where Drew Bledsoe was the first pick. He went to Pro Scouting Day at USC. He came to the league meetings. He came to games, uh, came to my Super Bowl party, and I told him lots and lots of stories. And so he, what he incorporated, only he knows, but um, it, um, I was technical advisor, so my job was to vet the script to make sure the willing suspension of disbelief that holds you in a motion picture didn't get broken. You didn't think the dialogue was phony or the look on the field was phony. And... Um, then he had me work with some of the actors like Cuba Gooding Jr., who I took down to the Super Bowl in Phoenix and made him pretend he was a wide receiver all week. <laughs> and, uh, I actually had to show the quarterback played by Jerry O'Connell how to throw a spiral because he had gone to NYU and they didn't have a football program there. So there's a lot of life in that. And of course, it's been 25 years and yeah. I can't. I can't go to an airport and catch a plane or go out to dinner without someone running up to the table and saying those four words, you know, show me the money. money. That's funny. Yeah. You know, you know, I know, you know, we've, we've had you on the show many times, but the one question I, I don't know if we've asked, we probably have, but it's been a while. How did you, how did you end up being a sports agent? Well, there really was no field when I started. Um, so I was going to law school and I was a dorm counselor in an undergrad dorm and they moved the freshman football team into the dorm. And in 1975, Steve Bartkowski, the Cal quarterback, was selected number one overall in the uh, NFL draft, which then was in January. And I had gotten out of law school, but I'd just been traveling around the world, hadn't taken a job yet. And Bartkowski asked me to represent him. <laughs> so there I was brimming with legal experience, uh, fresh out of law school. And I had the first pick in the first round of the NFL draft. But teams could hang up the phone back in those days and say, we don't deal with agents. 
and there was no guaranteed right of representation. So this last 50 years has seen some rather dynamic changes. Yeah, no doubt about it. Wow. Any, um, any preference with sports? Uh, who you? Uh... Yeah, I mean, did you really focus on any kind of sport or athlete? So, um, um, yeah, I started with football, and I started with a franchise quarterback. So that continued over time. We did a big baseball practice where we, Jeff Morad and I had clients like Pudge Rodriguez and Manny Ramirez and yeah. uh, C. Sabathia. Uh, we had basketball, mm-hmm. boxing. I did Lennox Lewis and uh, helped Oscar De La Hoya. Um, uh, did a little bit of hockey, did uh, the U.S. team in the World Cup um, back in 94, um, Olympic athletes, so everything, but I would probably best known for football. Right. Let me ask you a question. I'm you know, curious. You know, Go ahead. You know, the Pudge has got a nice uh, I know. beer and pizza joint right up the yeah, street here. Yeah, right here in Dallas. Little I know. Field. I know. Uh, you know, Lee, it's interesting and I, I, you know, curious to know because, um, at least what I've noticed recently and it's, it's, I don't know if this is a negative or a positive. I I gotta, I gotta assume that it's more negative, but we're noticing that athletes are using holdouts as negotiation tactics and, you know, I was just thinking about it the other day. I was talking to some of our colleagues and friends, and I'm like, you know, I understand where some of these running backs might be coming from because, you know, they want to get paid as much as possible because who knows? I mean, their their career could be ending in, in, a, in another year. We don't know, right? Um, but in the same breath, you look at the ownership, and I understand where they, you know, why they feel the way they do. So... My question to you as a sports agent where you represent athletes, um, first of all, is that a good uh, tactic? Because it just seems to me like if I was a general manager, I don't know if I would want to have him on my team because it seems like he might do that with us now. I don't know. But what's your opinion on this? Anytime you see a confrontation like that, it means there's been a total failure in the negotiation proceeding up to it. In other words, there have been so many moments where they could have solved that situation prior to training camp. And the best way to try to do an extension or a renegotiation is to do it quietly behind the scenes Hmm. and allow the team to step forward and say, well, we renewed uh, Jonathan Taylor because we thought um, that uh, he was such a great player. When you put public pressure on someone and confront them and push their back to the wall, what you get is deadlock. And in deadlock, unintended consequences could happen. So you start a relationship and it starts out being just about money. And by the end of it, it's broken. And and something that you didn't think would happen, which is a key critical player, um, leaving the team happens. But let's separate the situation. Saquon Barkley did not have a contract. So... Yes, he was, quote, holding out, but in reality, there were no penalties or fines or anything that accrued. Um, Two other players who were running backs were also under the franchise, and so they weren't 
technically holding out. When you take a player who has a signed contract with uh, 2023 is one of the years on it, he's violating that contract. And the penalties are draconian. He can be fined $30,000, $40,000 a day. Mm -hmm. um, they can, if he's not in camp, they can send him a 10-day letter and he's got to come into camp. I mean, it, it doesn't get good. When you put an NFL team's back up against the wall and everyone in the public sees there's a confrontation going on, um, it makes it difficult. And it really makes it hard to, to trade a player because when you have an incumbent player demanding to be traded, the whole rest of the league knows he's damaged goods and the team may end up, worst case, having to cut him. So why should they give up big trade value when this player may become available to yeah. them? It then puts the incumbent team into a much rougher circumstance to problem solve. Yeah, I mean, uh, Josh Jacobs, I believe, has another year on his contract. He still hasn't reported to camp. The season's going to start like in a week and a half or something. You know, we saw Le'Veon Bell go through this and – Clearly, it was a bad decision on his part because we all know what happened there. Now he's boxing somewhere, you know, celebrity boxing. I, I just, you know, like you said, it could damage your reputation, I think, in the league. If, you know, Jonathan Taylor just got the okay to go and look for a new home, if you will, uh, to be traded. Now, I don't know who's going to you know, want him, but there's certainly other teams out there that might need his skill because he is certainly one of the best out there right now, like maybe Miami. But, you know, I, another question to you, and i got to ask you, because this is something that I think happened where Aaron Jones, a great running back over in Green Bay, took less money this year. He decided to just take less <laughs> money than, let's just say, the going rate was. Um, because I don't, I actually don't know why. I don't know if it was because he's humble and, or he just wanted to get his contract and, and that was enough for him. Um, and he wanted to stay in Green Bay, but that really affected, I think, the industry and running backs in general, because I think he had a lot to do with guys now not getting paid as much. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, there's a market. And so how you negotiate a veteran contract is you look at, who your comparables are, how many years in the league, how prolific, how many yards gained, what they did in the receiving game. Did they make honors? Are they all pro? Did their team go to the playoffs? There are a variety of ways to look at it, but it's all the market is made up of comparable running backs. So when you're doing those negotiations, people will argue about who's Aaron Jones like, and then comparable but the truth is that for the next running back coming up that's the market so whether whatever his motivation was um remember when you see this sometimes with quarterbacks or someone else it's because restructuring a contract gives the team more room under the salary cap and if they have more room then the chances of making it to the playoffs and Super Bowl is much uh, uh, enhanced. And uh, for a star player to be on a Super Bowl team changes everything. I mean, it's it's their ultimate aspiration, but it also changes their profile, their marketability, means tons more endorsements, tons more recognition. So there are all sorts of things that happen when you win. 
So if that was the motivation, then you you understand. And and what you would argue is that's not a comparable for us because he did that to um, try to give the team a better route to win. That's not really what the market is. Yeah. We're speaking with super agent uh, Lee Steinberg, close personal friend of Tom Cruise, and uh, <laughs> we're enjoying talking sports and uh, thinking about Newport Beach, where I was last week, enjoying that great weather. Yeah, we're jealous. What else you got for Lee? So much. Um, last but not least, um, Lee, I got to ask you one more question. I think a lot of our listeners are curious to know. And, you know, like you said, like 50 years ago or whatever it was, the industry really changed or it's changed over the last 40, 50 years. But, you know, what are sports agencies doing these days? I feel like they're doing so much now. They're almost in the same business as recruitment. Like they're literally out there and they're finding talent. How do you guys find the best talent? I mean, you know, within your company or anyone else's company, um, you know, What's the plan? Like, I mean, are you guys looking at not only younger guys that that are not graduating, um, but are, you know, how many guys are out there? How many people are out there? And how, you know, what are you looking for? So, <clears throat> I try to profile a potential client by looking at their work ethic, um, their heart, uh, their dedication to the sport. And also, as you know, our practice features athletes as role models. So I'm looking for people that will retrace their roots and go back to the high school, college and pro community and set up a scholarship fund or a charitable foundation. So you're looking for that talent level. Now, I have the ability to talk to NFL teams. And the real key is what do they think of the player? And you can talk to teams and they'll share some of their insights. Um, so there are agents who can do it with their own eye. Um, and I would never tell you I could do that. But once you tell me what this player is like and what he is, then I can <clears throat> use that to help him push him in the draft and then do uh, later. Now, the biggest change when you ask when do you talk to people is we're in a period of explosive change in college sports and, and pro sports. You have conference realignment, which throws out the window tradition, rivalries, geographical location, proximity, right? Gambling uh, coming along, which they swore would never happen. But NIL does the real um, change because all of a sudden that player I talked to coming out in a football draft as a junior or senior, and I talked to his parents first and then go through that yeah. screening. That now is a 17-year-old high school player who can do NILs and brand himself. And now you're talking about making an entree because the people who are, quote, marketing agents are basically, in most cases, the same people that are the pro sports agent. It's just the same person doing earlier endorsement work, right? So if you don't sign that player out of high school um, as a marketing agent, you may never get a chance to talk to him four years later or three years later. Interesting. So you're next-door neighbor, Adam. <laughs> yeah. With Lee. I know. And, uh, 
Kansas City's quarterback. Oh man, you know, I, you know, it's interesting. What's your opinion? You talked about the realignment in college football, but what is your opinion there? I mean, are we looking to where we might just see literally two conferences, almost like the NFL? Yes. So you probably maybe it's three. Okay. Um, it's sure not the Power Five conferences anymore because one of them's gone. So um, what you're looking at is is the haves and the have-nots. So the haves are universities that have alums that can form a collective and offer players who are coming out of high school a couple million dollars in NIL deals from the wealthy businessmen who make up collectives and own businesses that can do endorsement. Um, and they're going to get the best players. And on a transfer portal, they're going to get the best transfers. And they have more television money and more resources. And there's going to be a split there. And then there's everybody else. And they won't be at the same level at all. And then it has a ripple effect on a lot of the other parts of the sports program because football and basketball tend to fund women's volleyball and the rest of it. So the effects of this are going to ripple. Um, and I think the NCAA is in the last three or four years because why would the Big Ten or the SEC need an NCAA. They can negotiate their own TV contracts. They can set up what they think are rational rules. Um, I think we're about to see the conferences as king and a whole new landscape. Yeah. Yeah, Notre Dame did that well, 20 years ago yeah. with NBC. Yeah. Lee, as always, a pleasure. We appreciate your time and getting your insights. All the best. We'll talk soon. Thanks again. My pleasure. So long. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. More to come live from uh, Living the Good Life show. The GOAT himself, Lee Steinberg. We'll be right back. For the time when I show you what it's like to be worth spending a mind. Tell you.